Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's happening, everybody? We have a brand new episode of Crossed Up, the first episode of Crossed Up for the 2022 calendar year. It's been a little bit. It's been probably about, oh, I don't know, five or six months or so since we've last done this, but we're dusting off the mics. Anthony's been here all along doing Snow the Goalie. I'm back. And the Phillies are still the same exact Phillies, Anthony, uh, despite all of the great expectations uh, that we have uh, been told and that we've probably believed ourselves. The more things change, the more things stay the same. And coming off of a weekend in which the Phillies lose three out of four games to the Marlins, stop me if you've heard that one before. Here we are once again doing this show during probably the most absolute negative time that you could possibly be doing it absolutely bob and it's great to be back uh, i'm thrilled that thrilled that we uh, are dusting this this podcast off i know a lot of people have have been giving us a hard time on twitter saying hey when's crossed up coming back hey when are you guys doing cross up again um so it's kind of cool that we're that we're going to be doing it again um and you're right i mean i you know we could pick any time to do this we could have picked, you know, right after they signed Schwarber and Castellanos and been like, you know, all positive, you know, there. We could have done it after opening day and been like, all right, here we go. And we could have done any of these things. And, of course, we waited till after the Marlins. <laughs> now, listen, we did. We have been talking for a couple of weeks, like, do we bring it back? If we're going to do it, and we do want to say this right off the top, the plan here is to do it two times a week. We want to actually try to follow a schedule so people aren't like hey man like how come you didn't do uh you know your end of the week pod or how come you only did one this week or why did right. you guys skip we said if we're going to do it we're going to do it we're going to do it correctly so you know we're gonna try to aim for beginning of the week end of the week kind of uh you know as this season goes on we still think that this is a season worth talking about <laughs> i do i do believe that despite a rocky 10 games here so you know listen um you kind of watch this team, right? And just from a, a higher level perspective, you know, it, it feels an awful lot like the teams in 2019, 20, and 21, does it not? It, it really does so far. I mean, it's, it's you know, and, and, and like I said to you off, off air just before we started, I, you know, the, the thing is, is that as bad as it's been for the Phillies, I mean, when you look at their, their offense has been very disappointing through the first 10 games. I still think they're like middle of the pack in – in offense, batting average, whatever, OPS. I mean, I think that there's half the league is still behind them, which is which is really telling about how far behind hitters are with a shortened spring training, right? It's not an excuse for them to not be better than, than, than they've been, um, but at the same time, you can at least understand it um, in the sense that this lineup should hit. It should hit. Um, the pitching is going to be ultimately, I think, where the question mark comes, you know, when we're talking in September where this team is, I think that, that we're going to look look at the pitching staff a lot more than we're going to look at the bat, at the lineup. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you can't waste good pitching performances and have them go right. Now, that didn't happen yesterday. Uh, you know, Zach Wheeler was terrible yesterday, if we're going to be honest. Um, but you can't, you can't waste – good to decent pitching performances because your lineup just isn't hitting. And, and that's where most of the Phillies losses have come down to. And so there, therefore, if, if you're looking at it and saying, ultimately pitching is going to determine this season and they give you a decent enough outing to win the game, well then damn it, your lineup better hit in that game. Yeah. And I guess the one thing that I've kind of felt as I've watched these first 10 games, it's not necessarily that, you know, you should panic because what you're seeing you know, over the last week and a half, it's, it's, you should probably be a little bit nervous just because 
it's it's not that you go down and lose three or four to the Marlins. It's that you always lose three or four to the Marlins. It's <laughs> that you never win on the road. It's that, you know, you could never seem to sync up uh, a quality start with legitimate offense or, you know, vice versa. And that's what's so troubling about it. It just looks the same. It feels the same. There's a different cast of characters. I think that there's a great reason to want to feel good about the changes that they've made. You talked about this lineup. I still think it has top three or four in the National League type of potential. That should not change just because you're a little bit underwhelmed by what you've seen through, you know, three different series. You know, that just is not enough to make any, any, I guess, permanent statements. But I think what gets me is you talk about the pitching staff and when you start to go through these guys one by one by one, you can, you can look at it and sort of squint and say, wow, this is, this is a really good starting rotation. And then you can kind of like tilt your head and squint and look at it another way and go like, man, there's a lot of ifs here. And like, if Aaron Nola can rebound, which I got to tell you, like, Every start that goes by, I start to lose a little bit more faith in that guy. I just do. Um, you, you look at what Zach Wheeler did yesterday, and I know that the, the thought here is like, well, he's still in spring training, and, you know, he's not quite ramped up all the way yet. And, like, I, I agree. Like, that's a legitimate, a valid excuse. But when you watch him, I mean, his, his forcing fastball is down almost three miles an hour. His sinker is down three miles an hour. And, like, if he's – if he's throwing 95, I mean, you can live with that. It's not like he's he's out there throwing 88 miles an hour, but there's a big difference between consistently clocking 97, you know, pushing 98 versus 93, 94, which is what we started to see at the back end of his start against the Marlins. So you kind of have to hold your breath there because, you know, losing three, four miles an hour off of, of your harder stuff, that's that's a problem. Yeah, it, it, and it was, it was the funny thing was is that, you know, I wasn't even really – I was actually in the car. I was driving to my sister's uh, early in the game yesterday. And um, we I wasn't able to watch the game, but we were playing the TV feed through the car uh, Bluetooth because my son was watching it on his phone. And every time the Marlins hit the ball, you could just hear how hard they were hitting the ball. You could hear the barreling of it, right? And I'm sitting there saying to myself – these pitches can't be good, right? I mean, these can't be good pitches. But then you go back and look at it, and it's not like they're in bad locations. It's right. You're, you're right. It's just you're taking a little bit off, and they're able to make the contact now. And it's a matter – and that's the, that's the difference for Wheeler. You want him – normally you want him throwing that fastball, right? You want him throwing that because his fastball is so hard to catch up to. But if you're not putting it at 97, 98, guess what? These are major league hitters. They're going to catch up to it. And those guys were just teeing off on his fastball. It's not like he was leaving, you know, breaking pitches out over the play. I mean, a couple. But for the most part, they were hitting his fastball yesterday. And that's that's where the, where the concern is. So, yeah, obviously, you hope that that you say, okay, you know, he's still not there because of spring training. Fine. Let's see where he's at three, four starts from now. If he's got that thing up to 97, 98, I don't think that they're going to worry about Zach Wheeler. But if he's not there in the next few starts, then yeah, Bob, that's a concern. Yeah. And I guess to kind of put this into perspective of where he's at and a different way to sort of, uh, you know, illustrate it yesterday with his four seam fastball, he threw it 25 times. He maxed out at 95.7 miles per hour. Just as a point of comparison, his first start against Atlanta last season, his second game of the year, he averaged 97.7 uh, yeah. with his with his fastball. So, I mean, you're talking about his average being two miles an hour more than what he maxed out at yesterday. And again, I would look at this and, and kind of be reluctant to say, oh, no, this is going to be an ongoing problem. But. I do think that if you get into the first week of May, uh, you know, and he takes another two, three turns through the rotation and one, the, the productivity is not there. And two, the velocity hasn't kind of ticked upwards yet. That's when I start to say, okay, well, we can't use, we can't use the spring training thing as an excuse anymore. You know, the delayed right. spring training. Do we just talk about, Hey, heavy workload last year, you know, he's just trying to battle through it. You know, you start to kind of look at alternative explanations, but none of which are really good for the Phillies. So, you know, if Aaron Knoll is going to pitch more like a, a number three, number four starter and Zach Wheeler is not going to, to pitch at a, you know, top five in the National League Cy Young level, then you really need Ranger Suarez to run it back and, and duplicate his performance from last year. You really need Zach Eflin to stay on the field and, and 
provide quality innings. And, you know, Kyle Gibson, I think, has done a, a fairly nice job. I know he ran into some tough luck on Thursday night, but he's looked pretty sharp through two starts. You know, the, the other thing that I look at when, I, when I'm watching this team right now is, you know, we talked about it so much last year, you know, just kind of like a lack of edge, a lack of juice. I don't think that you can, again, you really say that this team doesn't have that. I think you could say those previous teams didn't have it. I just felt like, you know, they were going to go into this series. Uh, and if I were a betting man, I would have said they're going to go into this series and they're, they've got something to prove more than any other team would have something to prove the second weekend of the season. Like they're going to issue a statement at the very least get out of this series with a split. The inability to do that, you know, is it, I try to balance things out. Like, is this being like a hot take artist? Is this being like a total overreaction? Or do you watch what unfolded this weekend and kind of go like, damn, like, you know, I know it's only 10 games, small sample size. It's early. There's only, you know, a couple teams in baseball that have seven wins right now over their first 10 games. Nobody in the American League has more than six. So, like, we're talking about the Phillies basically being, like, one game off of that pace. Right. You know, it's not that big of a deal. But, damn, like, don't you just want a little bit more? Yeah, everybody everybody wants a little bit more. And that's the thing, Bob. And I, I, think, I think that you also pointed out how we have to temper expectations at this point. Just, just at this point, right? I mean, nobody's really gotten out to a fast start. I mean, you know, you say the Mets, right? I mean, I guess they're the closest, right? I mean, they're the fastest start. Um, but even then, I mean, the Met, did the Mets really impress you when you saw that series? They didn't. They didn't really impress. They had a good series. I mean, don't get me wrong; they won two out of three against the Phillies. But I, I looked at that lineup and I was like, yeah, there's nothing really exciting here. <laughs> Like it's it, it was it was sold to me as something a lot better than it really is. Um, yeah, their pitching is going to be really good, but I mean, obviously, you know, you don't have Degrom, and who knows how long you don't have him. So you know, the, the Mets are the Mets, man. I mean, to me, I think that they're another team that's going to be. We've seen this from them before, right? Where they get out to a quick start, and then all of a sudden they start to fall apart too. I, I'm not in love with their lineup. Um, Braves have gotten off to a slow start. Um, you know, Marlins and Nationals probably don't hang in there. So I think if you're the Phillies, you look at it and say, yeah, should they be better than four and six right now? They should. They, there's no doubt in my mind. They should at least be six and four, at least at this point. And I think if they were six and four, we're probably not as looking at things as negatively as we are right now. Um, but at the same time, you, you know what? I, I'm okay with it. I can get by with it. Now, you look ahead and you sit there and say, you can't lose two out of three to the Rockies in Colorado, right? You can't, you can't have this, this stretch of games here where all of a sudden you're like, you're, you're struggling to stay around 500 for the next month. That can't be the case. At some point you have to start winning games. Well, I'll tell you what, is your expectation that they go out to Colorado and they kind of find it and they win the series against the Rockies? Cause I, I actually shared this. We, we work with a, a site called bleacher nation out in Chicago. Good, really good Cubs website. And they yeah. were just in Colorado. And he says, listen, the 2021 Colorado, Colorado Rockies who were terrible, who were terrible for 48 and 33 at home last season. So when playing at Coors field, they were the sixth best team in baseball. And again, the, the Rockies are a little bit better this year. They're still not, in my opinion, very good. Uh, but like, I just feel like that that in recent years has all of a sudden become a, a difficult place to play, especially for the Phillies. They've had some struggles out there. And I just, you know, you look at the schedule and like, I know you can't really do this. You, you know, teams are inconsistent right now. Some teams that you think are going to be good are going to pan out, kind of go the other way and vice versa. But Man, like this is a tough week out in Colorado for this team right now, especially for a pitching staff, at least on the starting end of things, who hasn't been very good. Well, they've, they've put themselves in this position. I mean, I mean, that's what I'm saying is that they've they've really put themselves in a spot where they have to go out there and, and play well. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't come back. You can't come home next week and, you know, after the next six games and, and be three games under 500. You can't like you have to start. Yeah, you have to start putting some wins together. Um, and, and that's what I'm saying. So like, you know, Hey, all right. You lost six of the first 10. It's not panic time, but at the same time, you can't have that same kind of stretch here going forward. We can't have an eight and 12, eight and 13 team, you know, after 21 games, they just can't. And that's where, and that's why I'm saying these games are, you know, yeah, they can turn it around. I mean, you look at it. This is, this is a place that this offense 
should come alive, right? I mean, this is a place, you know, Colorado doesn't have great, they don't have, the Rockies don't have great pitching. The ballpark plays in your favor for the way that the Phillies lineup goes. This should be a week that they do well. And if they don't, then maybe, maybe when we get together on Thursday, we're scratching our heads like, all right, what the hell's wrong now? (laughs) Yeah. Now it's interesting. You say like they have to go out to Colorado, you know, you can't start three, four games under 500, you know, can you though? Like, I mean, you see teams every year, they start slow, they get back in, doesn't really matter in terms of the standings. But I I think it's interesting that you say that because one of my positions here in the early going, like I've really tried to, you know, I want to cater to the fan, you know, covering the team. You want to kind of let the fans know that, hey, listen, if you're annoyed and frustrated watching these first 10 games, like you should be, I get it. It's understandable. And you don't want to have to qualify every single take that you give with, well, it's early. You know, we all know it's early. We all understand how baseball works. But I do think for this team, maybe not from a from the standing standpoint of things, but I do feel like when you're trying to overcome your your shortcomings from the past few years, you know, every year has been a letdown. Every year has failed to meet expectations. You've seen what the Phillies issues have been now for for multiple years. And you you saw the way the city reacted post Schwarber, post Castellanos. It was like baseball's back in Philadelphia. People were genuinely excited. John Middleton pushes through the tax threshold. Fans are coming back. Like, they're ready for the Phillies to be good, to fill up the park, to make it a fun summer. To me, the biggest thing that the Phillies really have to deal with in this first week or two is trying to make fans believe that it's legit, that it's not just another – you know, smoke and mirrors, like, the, the, you know, the, this is the year that they're finally going to get back. Oh, wait, no, it's not. It's the same old Phillies. And I do think that that's what they're kind of flirting with right now. The, the, you know, the perception, the way that the fans feel about this team. And if you're kind of like, you know, you're the Phillies right now and you're worried about drawing at the gate, like, that's where I think that this is really going to be an important week or two to try to sell some true belief that this is a different team. Yeah, I think you're right. And that, but at the same time, I also, I also don't care that much what the fans think. No. <laughs> if, if, if that makes sense, you know what I mean. You know, you know what I mean by that, Bob. Like, I mean, if the process, if the baseball process requires that it takes a little bit longer for this team to really gel and then gets going, and then eventually the fans will come back later in the summer as opposed to coming back now. Yeah. Like, I don't. That to me doesn't matter uh, ultimately. But I, I think that your point is certainly valid. I don't, I don't want to dismiss it because I think, the, I think the Phillies look at it that way. I think that the franchise looks at it and says, we need to get butts in the seats early. We're spending this, all this extra money. It's important to get these people back in and on board right away, and, and, and it will help the, the morale of the team. I, I, I'm 100% behind your statement there. You're just asking me, me Anthony, personally, yeah. it doesn't matter to me. No, you know, and I know. I, listen, I, can, I can wait a little bit longer. If, yeah, if, if we're if, if they're you know eight and sixteen through twenty four games, like it doesn't mean that they're buried. It doesn't mean the season's over. It doesn't mean anything. But I just I look at it a little bit from a and you know listen if you've listened to the show before you know kind of where I'm at. Uh, I think if you if you haven't listened to the show, I mean my my backstory is basically that I grew up a huge Phillies fan. It was the most important thing in my life, and then you know it sort of turns into a situation where you know you you start to cover the team on a professional basis, right? And you have to separate your feelings and the fandom. But you know I don't do that old school journalist thing where I say like, well, I don't really care what happens. I'm just there to cover the game. Like I love the Phillies. I grew up sure. in Philadelphia. I my friends are Phillies fans. My family are Phillies fans. Yeah. I want the Phillies to do well. And really from a coverage standpoint, I mean, don't think for one second and listen, you covering the flyers, you probably know this. I mean, if the, if the team's really good, it's, it's more fun, right. And you're going to get more readers and you're going to be more excited. Or if the team's doing really, really poorly, which the flyers are, you know, you, you still get a lot of interest because people want to kind of watch it all burn. Right. Right. The Phillies now for the last three years has just done this dance with mediocrity where it's like win three, lose three, we're two games over, we're two games under. Like that is that's purgatory. Well, not just for a fan, but for you know, from a media perspective, it's just like it's just a continuation for, for it's the fourth year now of this. And that's what I'm really more than anything. Uh, hoping it does not happen. Like go one way or the other. It's it's fork in the road time here. And I think that they're I think that this is a playoff team. I do. I mean, 
I do too. But I've been wrong many times before, and I've tried to give it as much of an objective look as I possibly can. I still believe this is a playoff team, but my goodness, like, come on, you know, like, yeah, you know, I hear you. I, I mean, and you look at like, like I look at a couple of little things here, and this is why I, I haven't gotten to, into panic mode yet because I look at a couple of little things that haven't started off well. Let's just look at Schwarber, for example. Hits the home run first at bat, everybody goes nuts, and then he, then he kind of tanks, right? But even yesterday, you know, they move him down in the lineup, and I think that Girardi's switch of him down to the five spot, splitting him and Harper by two right-handers would prevent a lefty from coming in late in the game and having, you know, being able to face them twice in three batters. It's, it's smart, right? I mean, if you, Hey, you want to bring in a lefty to face Harper. Okay, fine. Then you got to get through Castellanos and Hoskins before you get to Schwarber. Right. And so that, and those guys kill lefties. So, you know, pick your poison there. Right. And so I think that that's a, it was a good idea to split them up the way he did. Um, You know, yeah, they get, they get crushed yesterday, 10 to three, but Schwarber gets two hits yesterday, hits a home run. Okay, so he's you, you look at it and go, okay, well, all right, maybe that's good. You know, Harper, Harper's a notoriously slow starter. We see it every year, and then he get then he ramps it up and he becomes MVP like he did last year, right? Here, here goes Harper yesterday uh, with three hits in the game, hits a home run. All right. Um, I mean, even something so small as freaking Matt Veerling going 0 and 0 for 16 to start the year. Then in a game the other night, um, you know, in, in a you know meaningless at bat at the end of the game, he gets a single the opposite way. You could see when he gets the first base, like the relief of finally getting the first hit in the game. And the next night goes out and goes two for five with a walk. So now you sit there and go, okay, maybe that's what Matt Verley needed. Just like those little things. So maybe you look at those little pieces of the, here's some guys that are struggling and then they, they, they get little bits and pe- okay. All right. Uh, that's fine. You're, you're starting to figure it out. You're starting to find it you know, maybe here in the next week or so you'll really get going. And then we'll see this offense putting up seven runs a game. Um, you got to hope for that a little bit. You got, you got to hope that that's what you're seeing and that's, and that's what it's going to be. So, you know, you, you try and find those little bits and pieces. And I think you can see it in the bat in the lineup. And I think that the bullpen has been okay so far. Um, you know me, I'm Mr. I criticize the bullpen year in and year out. I hate the bullpen every year. <laughs> I, I've been okay with it so far. You know, I, I don't think that the bullpen's really kind of, you know, upset me at, to this point um, uh, other than Brogdon being a little bit uh, not having his fastball. Right. But uh, other than that, I'm, I've been okay with the bullpen. It's the starting pitching. That's been to me a little bit of a disappointment to this. Well, point. I want to, I want to stop because I think we can, we can break this up into two different sections here, so to yeah. speak. And so what, here you go with the offense. I agree. Uh, listen, Bryce Harper has been off to a little bit of a slow start, but you know, OPS is sitting over 800 as we wake up this morning. Like he's been fine. And Bryce Harper's not the issue. Kyle Schwarber, he's a guy that has done it multiple years. I don't really have any concerns about him. I, I'm with you. And you know, when they went, they went out and did the, the Castellanos deal. That was the one that I was most excited about because yeah. I just think the guy hits and hits and hits. And I, you know, I think not that he's not that he isn't slump proof, um, but I just think he's a guy that he has the edge. He has a mentality. He has some some baseline of consistency to his game. And I think that this lineup, which we've seen for years, be so hot and cold at times, you, you need a little bit more consistency in it. Now, I agree with all of that, but there are two things that that do concern me a little bit. And again, it's all about the rollover. It's all about what I've seen. And, you know, you wake up this morning, 10 games in and Philly center fielders this year as center fielders are hitting 077 with a 282 OPS. Like, that was a problem a year ago. They needed Oduble Herrera, a guy that was never going to play for this organization again to kind of come in. And I wouldn't say he was good. I wouldn't even say he was league average, but at least prevented it from being historically awful. And. I, I feel like we're right back in that situation. Like Oduble Herrera is going to start working out here. You're probably going to see him come back at some point. Like you would have liked to have seen Matt Vierling, and maybe he does. You said it. He showed some signs of life down in Miami this past weekend, but this is not the start that you want from him. And then you see that Girardi flips the lineup around a little bit yesterday, and now you have Real Muto at the top, and we'll we'll see how that goes. But again, like I, I look at this and I say, what was one of their biggest issues from an offensive standpoint last year? And it was it was certainly a leadoff spot. You go out and you get Kyle Schwarber in theory to be this high on base percentage guy, 
you know, it's a new era type of leadoff hitter. Forget the speed element. He's got pop. He's dangerous at the top of the lineup. And now 10, 10 games in, nine games in prior to yesterday, he's out of there. I mean, Philly's hitters right now been leading off 098 with a 391 OPS. I mean, you know, that's not good. And, and I do think that if, if you don't look at that and say, like, this is a red flag, this is a little bit of reason for concern, then, you know. But my, my and I, you know, I, I, I hate to call my kid a genius, but my son suggests Harper should be leading off and has been saying it for three years, has been saying you're, he's your best player, bat him first. Just get him out there. He'll, he'll have more bats than anybody else. Lead him off. Yeah, okay, you want him to drive in runs. I get it. But now you have guys behind him who can drive in runs. He's going to get on base. Just lead him off. Just lead him off. And, and then you can still kind of do the same thing that you're doing with the lineup. You can still separate Schwarber far enough down. You know, uh, it's like don't even waste time trying to find a guy. that's Just put your best player there. And I'm starting to think he's right. I'm starting to think that that might be ultimately what is best for this team. Considering they don't have a true leadoff hitter, it might be best to just lead off Harper. Yeah, I mean, there there could be some validity to that. I mean, he has done it before, uh, yeah. albeit not very often. Uh, and not with great success either. Yeah, he's done it uh, 36 times, um, 271. Actually, yeah. I'll tell you what, 271, uh, 11 homers and 140 at-bats, and 943 OPS. Really where his numbers kind of tick downward is actually hitting second. Um, if you look at his, like, hitting first – uh, 943 OPS, second 777, third 959, fourth 968. So really, the, the two holes where he's seen the the drop. Um, it's it's an interesting idea. I think that the Phillies would probably be reluctant to do it because there's some type of prestige about hitting in the middle of the lineup. And you know, if you're talking about trying to have an MVP, you know, running back the MVP season, and uh, you know, this is where he's going to drive in the most runs. I I don't know, man. I I hear you. I would say that they don't have a, a true leadoff hitter uh, in this lineup, and I don't think that it's JT Real Muto. I am actually a little surprised that they went with JT Real Muto in the two hole to start the season. Right. I really felt. Hoskins was the guy, right? Best served, kind of hit down in the lineup, six, yeah. seven, extend things out with a dangerous hitter, you know, kind of get into that, that third, uh, you know, that, that lower third of the lineup, whether it's six or seventh, like that's, that's where I wanted to see him. Um, and you talk about how they initially constructed it with Harper uh, hitting third and Schwarber leading off and real Muto was supposed to kind of be the guy that breaks those two up. You look at the numbers of Gene Segura last year and the numbers of JT Real Muto against lefties. Yeah. It was Segura, who was markedly better than yeah. JT Real Muto. And to me, Segura made more sense in the two hole just because of the contact perspective. You know, he can hit the ball to all fields. I know that those skills aren't as important when you don't have a guy with speed leading off. You know, I know that the whole slap it through the hole hit and run game with Kyle Schwarber is not exactly you know, it right. really matter. But it just felt like that you just talk about damage against lefties. It, it was Segura who was better last year. So I think that Joe Girardi, you know, this is fine. Let's see how this, this next configuration goes for a week or two. Uh, I don't think you write it off just because they only scored three runs yesterday, but I, I think that you have a lineup that still does not have permanent slot in here uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that they're still going to have to, play around with it some. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Segura does lead off against lefties. I wouldn't be surprised if Segura, oh, I mean, he's probably the guy when Real Muto is out of the lineup and Stubbs is catching, right? I mean, I would assume Segura is going to go into that role. Um, unless you're giving unless you're giving Harper a game off or whatever, and you, you're, and you want, you can go back to Schwarber against a right-hander maybe at the top. I don't know why you would take Harper out of the lineup against a righty, though. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some permutations and combinations that could come out of this. Um, I mean, you could if you want to go back to Schwarber at the top and you want to split them apart, do you drop Harper to four and back Castellanos three? I mean, you know, you could do that. You could do that too. Um, you know, and still and still get a and still get the spread that you want um, from a lefty coming. I mean, and that was to me, I think that was the smartest part of the decision of splitting them the way they did. It was more about late in game, not early in the game. Um, so I think that that's, that's wise, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, yeah, this lineup is not, you're right. It's not set in stone and it may not be at any point this season. 
until you get to the point at the end of the year where you really need it to be set in stone and, and know what you're going to put out there night in and night out. Yeah. So when you look at this now and, and then you kind of flip over to the pitching element of things, if, if you watch the Phillies right now and you say, I don't like what I'm seeing, but as long as Zach Wheeler is okay, as long as, you know, the bullpen isn't going to be a, a top 10 bullpen, but they've done a, a fairly nice job to this point, I think. Um, you know, they can just kind of stay there. Um, this offense, they have proven hitters, you know, are going to come around and they're going to start to score runs in bunches at points. You feel pretty good about it, right? Then it comes back to the starting rotation. And so just two times through, it's early. We all know. Philly starting pitchers so far through 10 games, 5-6-8 ERA. Only the Blue Jays, Nationals, Pirates, Rangers, and Reds have been worse uh, through the first three series of the season. And you look at these guys on an individual basis. I'm willing to say, don't slam the panic button on Zach Wheeler right now. I like Ranger Suarez. I do. I've yeah. always been a Zach Eflin guy when he's on the field and healthy. Kyle Gibson. Sure. I'm in as a back of the rotation guy. You can do a lot worse to me. It comes down to, and it comes back to Aaron Nola and it has now for the last two seasons. If Aaron Nola didn't falter down the stretch in 2020, I think that the Phillies probably push into the postseason that year in the abbreviated season. If Aaron Nola didn't falter down the stretch in 2021. I think that the Phillies may have found their way in, not just from a pure win-loss perspective, like, oh, they had a big game and they didn't win it with Nola on the mound. But I think that there's something from a psychological standpoint when your best guys are going well and you say, like, hey, we know every fifth day Aaron Nola is going to take the ball and he's going to beat Aaron Nola. And it kind of creates a little bit of an extra vibe, a little extra juice that can sort of help you push through. And that has not been there. And now you come back into this season, opening day, Listen, I mean, I wish we would have done a podcast after opening day because I heard a lot of people say, well, he was so good. Joe Girardi shouldn't have pushed him in that spot. What are we talking about? That was at like 65 pitches, yeah. you know, and, you know, I know he comes out and it's boom, boom, two men on right away. He leaves him in for the third batter. It's a three run homer. I get it. Maybe that third batter, Aaron Nolan shouldn't see that third batter. I mean, come on, man. Like, we're talking about a guy in, in the 60s in his pitch count, which, by the way, I know a lot of people are like, you can't compare these two things. You get off the Gabe Kapler thing. But, like, this is what Gabe Kapler got criticized for at the start of the 2018 season when he takes Noel out at, like, 67 pitches. Maybe Gabe knew. 68. Who's counting? Um, no, but you know, you're right. I mean, and the thing of it is, is that – it seems to me I can't compare the two. Like, of course, well, here's the, here's what's weird about it, Bob. Because with Nola, to me, it's not always about him running out of gas. There have been times when Nola's had a bad first inning or a bad second inning, and then all of a sudden he looks great for the next four innings. Right? He finds it, and he's and he's good. And then you pull him out and say, "Well, he pitched all right for four of the five or five of the six innings. He just had that really one that one inning." And it's like, you know, where was it? it? You know, is it always at the end? Is it always at the beginning? It's all over the place. And that's it. So I think it's a, to me, it's more about not he's running out of gas or whatever. I, I think it's that he's a guy that just for whatever reason, at some point in a game and his starts just kind of loses focus. And, and I really think that, I mean, more often than not, yeah, there have been games where he's been sensational. And he's pitching, you know, eight, eight shutout innings. He had the, uh, the major league record, 10 strikeouts in a row against the Mets last year. I mean, we, we've seen games where he's pitched lights out for the entire start. But when he goes bad, it's usually because he has an inning where it's just like, what the hell are you thinking there, Aaron? Throwing that shitty curveball with two strikes, you know, or hanging it over the plate or, or just putting a meatball out there. Like, what were you thinking in that spot? You know, and you just kind of get that that dumb expression on his face. And it's like, like that, and it didn't matter where it was in the game. Like, to, to, to me, I don't think that he's a guy that you're sitting there going, oh, he doesn't have the ability to throw 120. He can. We've seen it. We've seen him throw all those pitches and be good, right? We've seen him come out and, and be on fire right from the beginning of the game. But we've also seen him melt down. We've also seen him give up four runs in the first inning. We've seen him have a miserable fourth. Like, his, bre his breakdowns occur – throughout his starts at various times and you never know when it's going to come 
And that's the that's the concerning thing with me with Aaron Nola is that it just happens at some point. You're sitting there waiting for it. It's going to happen. Oh, it doesn't? Okay, this is a good start. But then when it does happen, it's like, well, we knew it was going to happen. It just was a matter of when. That's where I have a concern with Aaron Nola. Listen, every baseball writer, every person that has observed this team over the last couple of years has done this piece or some variation of this piece, which is Aaron Nola is better than the statistics show. Here's my deep dive on why Aaron Nola is better than you think. And I've done it. (laughs) And, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, you can do that. You can write that story when it's one or two months. You can write that story when it's a couple of starts here and there. But this is it's starting to feel more consistent than, than it previously did. You know, those, those innings, those starts were kind of outliers um, where he kind of left you wanting a little bit more. It was always like, is Aaron Nola an ace? And if the answer was no, it was always kind of followed by, but yeah, he's a hell of a number two. Like if you were down on Aaron Nola, you were like, he's, he's a really good two. But now if you're down on Aaron Nola, you're like, he's a really good four. <laughs> yeah. That's like kind of where this thing's trending right now. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that I'm not saying that he's a number four. I'm not telling you that the guy's washed or cooked or any of that. But what I will tell you is this, what you just talked about. I totally agree with, you know, it's always one pitch. It's always one inning. It just seems like he's just not quite able to drop the hammer. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and and say, Oh, he doesn't have a killer instinct. I'm not going to talk about his mental makeup or lack of toughness or any of that, because I think that sometimes if you spin that curveball the right way and you get that out, that's the difference between what being tough and not being tough. Like, I think that we get caught up in stuff like that sometimes, you know, as fans or as media people, uh, he's not tough. He's not a bulldog. What are we talking about? But I will say this baseball is a numbers game. And if you start to compile substandard numbers over a long period of time, then you have to acknowledge the numbers and you go back and you look at 2021 and you're talking about a guy that pitched 180 innings. He made, you know, uh, what do you, what do you make last year? 32 starts. And you know, he ends up with a four, six, three ERA. And you could talk about, well, his expected ERA was three, three, five. And it was more than one, it was almost one and a half runs lower than what his actual true ERA was. And Okay. But like, if you consistently pitch, below what the the advanced numbers suggest like there is something to that and i don't know if it's toughness i don't know what intangible it is but there is something to that yeah i mean there's no doubt about it i mean like i said it's i, I think that there is there's something that he, I, I think it's the I, you know what else could it be bob i mean if we're sitting here trying to figure it out right and, if, and it's not something mechanical and it's not something physical and it's like so what is it it's got to be focus. It's got to be something up upstairs. It's got to be, you know, just just losing track of, of what's the right thing to do at the right time for a couple of batters and then just kind of going off the rails. Maybe it's maybe sometimes he thinks he gets he deserves a strike and I'm calls it a ball and it gets that gets in his head a little bit, you know, and all of a sudden now he's like, yeah, I'm trying to be more precise than he was before. And, you know, whatever the case might be, who knows what the reasoning behind it is. But I think it's it that that's the thing with Nola. And that's the thing that concerns me about him. And I'll tell you one other thing that's got to be got me a little bit concerned as far as the starting pitching rotation is concerned. One of these guys has to go out of the lineup for a couple of weeks. Who comes in? Who's who's the next guy? Well, if you're actually asking me that, uh, I, I guess the answer to your question is is Bailey Falter. <laughs> I think that's- Who I don't dislike. Right, you know, Bailey Falter. I like Bailey Falter well enough, but you know, what is he going to give you? They're not going to throw him six, seven innings. I mean, he's not a guy who's going to come in and, and pitch. Like, yeah, like I mean, listen, I'm, I'm with you. When I was doing my little radio tour, you know, uh, in March, and you know, the, the host call up and say, "Hey, can you come on for ten minutes?" I say, "Yeah, sure." You know, and we talking, we're talking about the Phillies. Even after the Castellanos signing, I said, "Hey, listen, I like this team on paper. It's a good offense." I think the bullpen's better than people expect it to be. Uh, I think that, you know, positive regression almost. Like, they've got some capable arms back there. I know that, you know, Yuri's familiar is a guy that always oh, met. You know, I've seen that before. Um, but, you know, Brad Hand, guy struggled a little bit last year. I like him. I think that these are guys that are going to give yeah. you most nights a, a, a pretty professional effort. But I said the one thing that I hate about this team 
is something that you won't see on opening day, which is it's starting rotation depth. I mean, there is none. They've, they have nobody that can come up and plug a hole. Should one of these guys miss, you know, two, three, four weeks, which they will, which, you know, I think is, is, you know, it goes without saying, I don't see it. And when you talk about an ultra competitive division like this, and it is, and I think you've seen that the Marlins, by the way, they're not a 65 win team this year. It's a good team. You know, they're a team that's yeah. going to hover around 500. You talk about this division and the type of arms that you're going to face on a, on a daily basis. Phillies have any, you know, any issues in that starting rotation. They're in trouble. Yeah. Which brings me to this. Where's Alec Bohm going to fit on this roster? And if he, if you don't have a spot for him, do you have to go out and get another pitcher with Alec Bohm? Yeah. I mean, I uh, think that there's something to that. Um, you, you wonder, people are, are kind of looking at these lineups of Joe Girardi lately and saying, where's Alec Boehm? And, you know, there's there's two obvious, well, I think there's one obvious explanation, and then there's one that's a little bit more, you know, take a look here. And the obvious explanation is that they don't trust him to play third base. Okay, fair enough. I think we all understand why they don't. And if you're trying to win now, you know, Johan Camargo's done a nice job. He's certainly a better defender. He swung the bat fairly well here in the early going. Okay. No problem. I wonder, though, I wonder, and this is just pure speculation, but do you think that the Phillies are really trying to pick their spots with Alec Bohm offensively? Say, we're really going to protect him. We're not going to have him hit against righties as much. We're going to try to protect him as much as we can defensively. See if he can put up legit numbers. Hope some team says, you know what? We watched this guy hit in 2020. He could do it. We know 21 was a mess, but he's swinging the bat well again. He's young. He was a highly thought of prospect, at least from an offensive standpoint, coming out of college. This dude can hit. We're willing to roll the dice on him. And you wonder, are the Phillies trying to build up some some market for Alec Bohm? And I, I sure as hell think so. <laughs> I, think ha- I think they have to. And I think that that's, you know, if you're looking for things, what, what do they need? Well, obviously, they need a center fielder. We know that. Um, but they also need starting pitching depth, and maybe that's what you're—that's what you're trying to get. I mean, who else? I mean, who else on your major league roster are you moving right now? Nobody. I mean, he's really the only guy who you can get some legit playing time and hope that he continues to be good. And say, okay, look what we have, Team X, Y, Z. You know, what, what would you be willing to give up for him? And I think that that's something that could happen. And that's not to say that it's going to happen, that they're going to trade him, that they want to trade him. I mean, you know, listen, in a perfect world, if you could just all sort of lay it out, let's say Didi Gregorius bounces back and has a really nice season here, right? Now you have some options in your infield, whether it is Camargo, Stott, boom. Okay, awesome. I don't know that we're going to get the bounce back season from Didi Gregorius. So then you go to, you know, plan B. Hey, Bryson Stott, you're going to play a lot of shortstop. Al boom. You're going to play third base. Didi's not going to be here next year anyway. So imagine this, two homegrown guys, Bryson Stott at short, Alec Bohm at third. That, that's fantastic, right? That's that's the goal. That's what you want. But I think the Phillies internally have to kind of be saying at this point, he works, he may work hard. Uh, you know, it just isn't there, though. And right. this isn't going to be the long-term solution at third base. And if they're convinced of that, I do think that, that at this point, you have to start to look at the market, especially when you have Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos, Reese Hoskins, because you can't just say, oh, Al, boom, you're, you're going to DH, because they have three other DHs in this lineup. <laughs> Which, again, we saw with, with my guy Reese. You know, I yeah. know everyone thinks I hate Reese Hoskins, but like yesterday, I know you said you were in transit. I mean, they had I got picked off at first base and he just dropped the ball and yeah. boom, you know, triple run score. Like it just, it's just baffling. You know, it really is. I mean, so Reese Hoskins to me, he's a DH, you know, a good one too. Very good offensive player, but my goodness. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, and those are the questions, Bob. I mean, and that's what, you know, we, you know, we, we don't want to come off as complete negative Nancy's here because <laughs> I mean, we, no, we really don't. But at the same time, I mean, if you're looking, if you're trying to digest what you're watching and, and you look really want to look at it and look at it deeply, I think we've addressed the things that are things that are really concerning, things that you shouldn't be too concerned about, um, you know, and, and sit there and say, OK, and, and then where, where do we go from here? 
So, I, you know, when you look at it, yeah, you're right. I think that the biggest concerns right now are Aaron Nola, are, you know, um, uh, you know w- w- center field, are, you know, th- pitching depth. You know, these are the things that are the bigger concerns and not Bryce Harper, not Kyle Schwarber, you know, not the fact. And listen, I, I want to say. Wheeler didn't have a good start. You know, I those say, are your bigger concerns. Let's dig out. Let's dig out some positive, some positive data, right? Reese Hoskins. You know, I just want, I'm going to throw Reese Hoskins a bone here. Look, look so at you, this is, this is, this is like olive branch time. here. So far this season, Reese Hoskins has the fifth overall best average exit velocity. And when you talk about hard hit percentage, there's only two players in baseball, Christian Yelich and Jose Abreu, who have a harder percentage of hard hit baseballs or higher percentage of hard hit baseballs, I should say, this season than Reese Hoskins. I mean, early on, he has made some really good contact and he's a really good offensive player. I would love to not have to watch him play a defensive first base uh, every night, though. (laughs) That's all. That's all. I think think that's fair. Yeah. And Castellanos has been... What as expected, I think he's third in the league in extra base hits at this point. I think he's third in baseball, as a matter of fact, in extra base hits at this point. If you really want to crank it out and look at the look at the numbers, so I mean, there's another positive. I mean, he's been he's been really good for you so far. Do you have any uh, thoughts? You know, we all talked about the defense coming in, and my position has been over 162 games, a superior offense is going to far outweigh the the setbacks or the troubles caused by a weaker defense, as long as the superior offense performs to capability. I mean, that's the caveat here. So far, watching this team, there have been moments where you're like, my God, they really are bad defensively. I just talked about one that we saw yesterday. What's your impression so far about this defense, you know, Maybe Monday night, Alec Boom, third base, notwithstanding. Yeah, well, I mean that was a disaster. But I'll tell you what, like I look at I looked at the game yesterday, and you know, you got Castellanos playing right field, and those balls hit down the line. Both ended up being triples, and I sit there and say a better defensive player holds those both the doubles, and if you have Harper out there instead with his arm, maybe one of those guys is. You know, there's a play at the plate. Whether I mean, I'm not saying it's definitely going to be out, but I mean, maybe there's a play at the plate as opposed to, you know, just getting it to the cutoff man or, or missing. Maybe at the one he completely missed the cutoff man. The ball just kept rolling into the infield there. Um, so like you know, things like that. I look at I'm like, okay, Cassianos can't play right field. So you talk about all these games getting Harper off of his feet. You're going to play Cassianos or Schwarber together in the outfield. That's terrible. Like, you like, like, like this is bad. I mean, whether it's, it's more about range than them doing something or them, them just dropping a fly ball or overthrowing a bag or something. It's, it's, they can't get to anything. Right. So that, that concerns me. Hoskins is, is a butcher at first base. All right. I mean, we've known that. I mean, look, DD's been okay so far at shortstop, but I mean, I worry about his range too. Like, I mean, ultimately I worry about his range. Um, Segura is fine at second base, and Camargo has been a nice. Camargo has been like he's reminded me of Pedro Feliz. Is that is that a good comparison? Yeah, I like that for Camargo. Um, I, mean, I mean, and so that's fine. And in center field, I mean, Muziati has looked good, but he can't. But he can't hit, right? And so Veerling Veerling's been going to end up playing more, and Veerling's just not a center fielder. So well, it's, I it's have concerns still. You take the three errors out of the mix, and obviously uh, the three boom errors out of the mix, and this is a little bit of a different number. But right now the Phillies are 23rd in baseball through 10 games in fielding percentage. Um, you know, okay, not great. It's interesting, and I know that people uh, feel differently about defensive runs saved, you know, especially in a 10-game sample. Phillies are actually 15th right now in defensive runs saved, plus one. They're in the positive uh, according to that metric. So – you know, I don't think that the Phillies defense has been necessarily as bad as, as maybe uh, you'd think it w- would be, uh, but it certainly has not been good. But when I just look and I, I say, okay, the things that I'm, I'm concerned by, really the defense has not been at the, the top of the list. And, you know, I think we've talked about the things that we're, we find to be more pressing issues at this point. So I, I ask you this, you know, the Phillies lineup this week, you try to always kind of look at it week to week, sort of Phillies lineup this week with three games in Colorado, and then they come back home and they get the Brewers. And I believe that uh, Sunday night baseball this upcoming week is Phillies Brewers in prime time. 
What are you uh, What are you looking for this week? I mean, it, whether that be by in terms of record, are you looking to go four and two, or is there something you need to see from this team that'll make you feel a little bit better than where you're at this morning? I mean, what is it that you're you're looking at here? I, I really, I'm, I'm going to look a lot at the starting pitching. I mean, I, again, I think that the hitting's there. I think it's going to come around. I really want to see how you pitch against these lineups because neither one, both of these lineups can hurt you, but neither one is a, a, a scary lineup. I mean, I watched a little bit of Milwaukee last week. I uh, watched a couple of their games uh, in the opening week of the season. I looked at that lineup. I'm like, I, I, people, are, everybody's picking this team. Like it's like a, a dark horse to go to the world series. And I just don't see it. I just don't see it with this lineup. Um, so if you're going, if you're pitching against the Brewers this weekend and, and you let them smack you around a little bit, that's cause for concern. Um, same thing with the Rockies. I mean, they, yeah, Rockies, I, I like a few guys there. I think that there's, there's some, some, uh, I mean, look, look at the start Connor Joe's gotten off to, right. I mean, who, who was, saw, who saw that coming? Um, but I mean, that kid's, you know, hitting the ball, he's raking well. Um, so there's a couple of guys in that lineup. You get to sit there and go, okay, they could be a little bit dangerous, especially at home. But even still, that lineup is not nine men deep. There's no question about it. These are lineups that you should be able to get through and, and get a bunch of goose eggs on the board, you know, string them together for a few innings. And if that's the case, if you're holding them without a run for three, four innings, in that same time span, with this lineup, you should be putting up at least a couple of runs. And so that should, that should be the difference. And so that's what I want to see. I actually want to see how they pitch against these more middle of the road type of lineups and, and see if they can, you know, get, get some momentum built off of that. If they continue to struggle against these lineups, man, I, I worry moving forward because, you know, you got the Mets coming back well, you got Colorado again, but down the road here in the next couple of weeks, you, you know, you're playing the Mets six, seven times. And, and then you got, you know, two quick ones with Texas, but that lineup is decent. Seattle's got a good lineup. The Dodgers are, you know, Padres. You got, this is what's coming. The Braves, you know, the Mets, I mean, the, the Giants, the May is tough. Yeah, you Even look at the May. month of May and you realize, hey, you know, we yeah. can all talk about it's early, it's this, it's that. Yeah. But you start to kind of look out three, four weeks and you say, wow, this team, you know, is going to have to win games. That And listen, we talked about it. Rockies were 15 games over 500 at home last season. They're yeah. a good team at home. They always have been. But, you know, when you play teams that you theoretically, if you are a postseason team, if you are this team that you say you are, yeah, you got to win these games. And so Aaron Nola, it starts with him tonight. Uh, he'll get the ball followed by Kyle Gibson goes up against Kyle Friedland in the second game and who I like, uh, but man, he has struggled uh, through two starts, both against the Cubs and Dodgers. Uh, and then series wraps up. I believe Zach Eflin will get the ball on Wednesday before a day off, which this team probably could use right now. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's what that's the thing that I'm looking for more so than the record. I mean, yes, of course, you want to win four, four out of six. That's that's probably your target, right? I mean, anything better than anything more than that is, is gravy, less than that is concerning. Um, so that's probably your target, but more than anything else, I really just want to see how the starting pitching, even the bullpen for that matter, but see how they pitch against lineups that aren't necessarily considered top tier. Last thing I want to get to before we roll uh, here and wrap this thing up. Uh, Mickey Moniak gets hurt in the final spring yeah. training tune-up. Um, has that been – has that hurt this team? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that – I don't want to – I mean, the guy, the kid made some changes in the offseason, really looked good in spring – really looked good in spring training. But it was spring training. And, I love the joke. It's like, so you're telling me all it took was for him to stand closer to the plate. Right. I know. Right. I mean, is that all it was right. I mean, after, after all these struggles, it's all mattered. He never thought of that before. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, again, it was still spring training. Like I, I, I don't know. We've had, he had some stretches last year where he was down in the, well, in triple uh, a and he was hitting and he was raking and they, oh, let's bring him up. Let's gonna get him up here. And then he would go like one for 11, you know? And it's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, so like, much so that he was not on the radar initially this spring Yeah, uh, in a center field situation, which is not really very good to begin with. You know, I mean, that's how far away this team and, and decision makers kind of viewed him. You know, to his credit, I will always say, I hear you at spring training, but I will always say it's better to do it than not to do it. True. And he did it. And he earned his spot on this roster. And you look at how uh, Matt Veerling has started. And I, you know, I'm just – Curious because I'm kind of with you. Like I need to see it at the major league level. Yeah. I know we do this whole like, you know, why not Mick? And you know, it should be Mickey Moniac, and we all hate Odubel Herrera. And I get it. I for for on the field and off the field issues. I understand why the fan base is out on Odubel Herrera. 
But until Mickey Moniak does it for prolonged stretch of major league level, I'm right. not willing to say like, wow, what a, what a huge absence this has been because I've heard that, you know, a few times over the last week or two, man, this team's really missing Mickey Moniak. And I said, okay, okay. No, <laughs> sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't buy it. I think Bryce Stott is, you know, an example of that. You know, I, I like Bryce Stott. I'm, I'm pretty high on him as a player. And I, I think that he's going to, you know, have a nice, nice 2022 even, but you look at how he performed during the spring. It has not exactly carried Translated, over the start right. of this season. And, you know, I mean, we see this all the time across baseball. Guys that, light, you know, light it up down in, in Florida and Arizona, and it just doesn't come north. No, it doesn't. It just, it just doesn't, especially younger players, right? And, and, you know, you're starting to see – you start to see either younger players not, not quite ready yet, uh, which might be the case with somebody like Stott, and maybe he's just not quite ready yet bat-wise, or – that a player who has that kind of spring, um, but then can't put it together in the major leagues uh, you know, over multiple chances, maybe they're just a quad A guy. You so know? what do you think, what is the move here? So Odubel Herrera comes back in, I don't know, 10 to 14 days, maybe, you know, actually I think that he's getting ready to, to kind of get back here. So maybe even the next week, Mickey Moniak obviously is, is a few weeks out. What, what is the move here? Does this sort of just work itself out? Like, does this – is Matt Veerling on this roster if he continues to struggle? Do they, like, Yes. I mean, I think that I think that if Oduble's ready, he comes back and Muziati goes down, right? And so that's right. – I think that's your first move. And then they platoon. And I think Oduble plays against right-handers and, and Veerling plays against lefties. If Oduble, do, do you make Moniak kind of prove it again in, in the minor leagues? To, well, I mean, he's going to have to. He's going to have to play a little bit down there, right? You don't just go six weeks and then just come right back into the lineup. So, say he goes down there on a rehab assignment, and you know he's one for twenty. Does he just go right back to where he was, or you know? Yeah, I think. It, I think a lot of it will being up here, right? It will de- a lot of it will depend on how Herrera and and Veerling are playing over yeah. the over that course of time. If there's if they continue to struggle, especially if it's Herrera, if he comes up and, and just can't hit. You know, Moniac being being a lefty, I mean, it's more more likely that's the case. Um, you know, if if, if Veerling is struggling, I don't necessarily know if you replace Veerling with Moniac just because then you have too many lefties in the outfield, right? I mean, so so I think that that might not be you know, so much, but I think if I think it becomes if you know Odubel gets a very short leash, um, if he's if he's doing typical Odubel stuff, then Moniac probably can replace him. You know, but if if Odubel's on one of his streaks where he's hitting and you know being productive even if it's in that nine hole eight nine hole in the lineup he'll probably hold on to that until until he's not and if moniac has to be playing well at the minor league level in order to, to supplant him i'm with you uh all right well i mean that should do it i think unless you have anything else you want to add any any last minute uh items for me here well you know I, bob how can we not talk about what your boy said out west well, what happened this week what happened this week bob uh, my guy gabe your with, guy uh, Gabe with his little rants, his, the score two days in a row, his rants about how you know we're gonna, you know we're gonna play play the game a certain way, and if other people don't like it, that's okay. It's no disrespect if they want to play a certain way against us, we ain't gonna complain. And then you hear Will Clark come out and say, "Well, yeah, well, next time we play them, if we throw at them, I don't want to hear them bitching about it." Like I think it's kind of fun. I think it's kind of fun to watch that kind of stuff go back and forth, and then see what happens. It's fun. Like if I'm coaching and, you know, you have a 12 nothing game and a guy drops down a bunt, you're kind of like, what are we doing? Right. Like yeah. major point, but I do kind of get where the counter is and it's our job is to deplete you. And if we can deplete you enough tonight where it's going to kind of matter the following night or two. Yeah. So be it. And that's wonderful. It, except that, like, you know, let me say this, Bob, and this is where I think that his answer was total bullshit. <laughs> Total bullshit. And I'm going to say it right here. If you're trying to deplete a bullpen, are you bunting? I mean, seriously, when do you bunt in a, in a, in a, in a, in an at bat? Are you taking five pitches and then laying a bunt down? No, you are bunting first pitch, maybe second pitch. And then that's it. So if you're going to sit there and say, well, we want to deplete the bullpen. Well, you ain't bunting by depleting the take pitches. That's how you deplete the bullpen. Yeah. Not bunting. That's a BS answer. It's an answer <laughs> because you want to come up with something smart to say. And he just and that's what he came up with. And in my mind, I mean, I don't know. Maybe some people sit there and say, Oh, that sounds really intelligent. And I sit there and say, No, it's not really intelligent. It's really damn stupid. 
Yeah, I, I kind of always like waver on the, uh, you know, unwritten rules thing. You know, if you had a guy, I'll say if you're in a two nothing game, it's a ninth inning and you have, a, you know, a no hitter on the line and someone drops down a bump, people like lose their shit over that. I love it. Like, yeah. if that's how you think you're going to get on base to try to keep the game going. Great. You right. know? I agree with you. You know, I know people are like, be a man, get the box, swing the bat. But like, if that's the play that can prevent nobody wants to be no hit like i know it's great for the fans but like you're yeah. that other dugout you're not going like wow that was fantastic you know kudos well, to him. And, he, and here's the thing i don't necessarily think i think that we far too often when we're trying to argue these points talk about quote unquote the unwritten rules and i look at it and say okay yeah is this is is that case probably maybe one of those unwritten rules you, you don't bunt up all those runs okay maybe it is but the fact of the matter is is i look at it like this if in fact that this is something that you want to do to try and you know get an advantage on another team in some capacity, why would you trot it out up nine runs in the sixth inning of a game you know that you know you're going to win, right? If you think Mauricio Dubon is going to be a, a you know a, a nice little drag bunt for a hit, why trot it out there? To me, that's the equivalent of running a flea flicker up thirty-one to ten with ten minutes to go in the game. Like what you have it in your playbook and it's, and it's good play. It's part of your arsenal. It's one of the tools using Gabe's words. It's one of the tools in the toolbox. Okay, good. That's great. Why are you trotting it out there? So that to me, that that's not necessarily going against an unwritten rule as much as it is. If you think it's something that you do and can do well, utilize it at a time that it's going to be beneficial for your team, not necessarily there. Now, the only thing I wonder is if this was, uh, you know, this involved two other teams, would we be talking about this right now? Or is this just a way for you to slander Gabe? Even? No, no I, I think I would talk about it because I, <laughs> I have an issue with, I'll tell you what, I'll give you another one. It has nothing to do with Gabe. I can't believe that the Dodgers pulled Clayton Kershaw pitching a perfect game with six outs to go. I can't believe it. Like, what the hell is Dave Roberts thinking there? You're talking about would one of the greatest upset, Would you have been upset if it was, uh, if it had been a no hitter? Yeah. I mean, or, it look, I mean, so no hitters, no hitters. I have a little bit more understanding for pitch counts, right? Because maybe you walked six guys and it's not like a beautiful no hitter, right? So maybe you've, you've thrown 112 pitches at that point. You're like, okay, like we really can't drag this guy out much longer. We're, but we're talking about a guy who's been pitching in this league. He's a Hall of Fame pitcher who had 80 pitches. Just let him go out there and start the next thing. See what happens. Maybe those three batters. You know, last year, Dodgers, they were going to win the World Series. It was a foregone conclusion. All of a sudden, you know, starting pitching gets a little shaky at the end of the season. Guys are missing time. I I don't know. If if you're going to tell me that Clayton Kershaw throwing an extra 15 to 20 pitches in a game in April is costing them in October, I'm going to sit there and say bullshit to that, too. I really am. I mean, we're not talking. We're not talking about a young pitcher who doesn't know how to, you know, manage his time and manage his arm properly. We're talking about a, a Hall of Fame pitcher who has that, done everything know, there is to do in this sport except throw a perfect game. Does that decision get made in the moment? Pull. Does that decision get made in the moment, or do you think that these things kind of get talked about at an organizational level? Hey, you know, hypothetically, we're here in uh, the beginning of April. If if Clayton's at 80, 80 pitches and he's got a perfect game through seven, how do you feel about it, ownership? I mean, where do you think that's Dave Roberts just going, eh, nah, doesn't matter. Uh, no, I think, I think that this guy, I don't think it goes as far as what you said there in the beginning. I don't think it's as, as much as if that, if this is the case, what do you think? I think it's more along the lines of, okay, we've had him pegged for 70 to 75 pitches for this game. We let him go to 80. We don't want him to go beyond that. And that's a, that's a decision that was made pregame. That was a decision that was decided on no matter what the scenario is. This is when we're getting him out. And they just stuck by it. And I. And- What's amazing, right, is that that is where baseball has gone, though, now. It does not matter the feeling, the emotion, the context. It doesn't matter. It's this is what he is throwing today, and the results are what they are, and it does not matter. We are not going to adjust off of that. And that's a, and that's a shame. And then they, so, the, so these are the things, and, you know, we talk about these are the things – that when we say, well, what's hurting baseball? What's causing people to not be interested in baseball anymore? And I think that sometimes we miss the boat with this conversation. And I think it's things like this that cost baseball because there's something really, really special about watching a guy pitch a perfect game. We had the opportunity to see it here uh, 12 years ago with Roy Halladay, right? I mean, it's only happened 23 times in the history of the game. There is something really, really cool about it. And, and, And it's something that not only... But not only for the for the for the fans, 
but for the for the players, for the team that's involved, like you're talking about something historical, and you just pulled the plug on it and said, you know what, screw it, we're you know, we're not going to do it. It doesn't matter. Those twenty pitches, they matter more in October than they do in April. Like, give me uh, a freaking break. Yeah, that's what you look at it and say, all right, let's go through the Dodgers' financial commitment of the 2022. Oh, wait, here we go. $285 million is their total payroll. And after all of the, the millions, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars the Dodgers have spent over the last 10 years, all they have to show for it is a fraudulent 2022 World or a 2020 World Series championship. <laughs> and, and you know what the thing of it is? Season. Here's the other thing. I mean, like, Kershaw has been more prone to injury in recent years. There's no doubt. Have any of those injuries occurred like at, at pitch 100? 110 no he's had like they've been like side sessions where you're throwing like your your bullpen and also he's got tightness in his back right that has nothing to do with throwing those extra 20 pitches in a game well, maybe it does maybe he uh is is weakening the the muscles and then you know the flare-up happens in that side session two three <laughs> days later i don't know listen i i hear you i agree i mean it's it's a shame I, you, you feel like the fans are being robbed of a, what could be a special moment um, I'm with you on that. I, I know I'm kind of pushing back a little bit, but this has become just such a, a high investment game. I mean, you know this. Uh, it's not like I'm telling you anything you don't know, but I mean, right. just the investment and the stakes are what they are, and and teams are looking at it just in, in a much more, you know, the the end result is the result. I don't care about the process to the end result. It's disappointing, and that's what's called. Co- that is what is costing the sport fans yeah, I, that, totally that, that's what it is that it's that mentality that's costing the sport fans yeah well it's like the nba regular season right the last 15 games <laughs> of regular season for half the league it was irrelevant you know right. oh, do we want to be the three seed the five seed get teams out there not trying to win but the nba you know is you know fortunately for the nba has a much more relatable game to to younger generations and you know is thriving right now whereas right. baseball has other issues and so those what you're talking about gets exacerbated by when you have baseball that has all of the additional issues that it does. Correct. All right. Well, that should wrap it up uh, for our return episode to cross up. We will be back after the Rocky series. I would imagine uh, we have not scheduled this yet, but I would imagine we'll probably do it on Thursday yeah. uh, during the day off and kind of reset going into the weekend. So for Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. Be sure to follow us uh, anywhere that you get your podcasts and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>